Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, everyone. Today's episode is with Dr. Agarwal. Originally from Toronto, Canada, New York-based pediatrician, Dr. Arunima Agarwal has a passion for helping and taking care of kids and their families from diverse backgrounds. Her interest in academics and autoimmune diseases started early in her residency training, which prompted her to pursue fellowship to further her knowledge. From working at Children's Hospital of Los Angeles to Grenada, where she was part of the American Medical Students Association, who traveled to isolated islands to provide routine screening for vision, diabetes, and other chronic illnesses. She immediately saw a need for vaccine, nutrition, and chronic illness education, which led her to participate in televised educational content for the NBC and ABC LA regarding the flu vaccine and the importance of limiting unhealthy sugars. In today's episode, we will go over a rapid fire Q&A with regards to the COVID vaccine for children under five. I know that so many parents were looking forward to February coming along and hopefully having this vaccine approved for kids under five. And unfortunately, that did not get approved this month. So we will talk all about that in today's episode. Let's dive in. Our first sponsor today is Navy Hair Care. I have been working with Navy Hair Care since they launched back in 2018. At that time, I was about a year postpartum with our third child, and my hair was experiencing some trouble after some significant postpartum hair loss. Navy really helped to strengthen my hair, and I noticed a big difference about one to two months after using it regularly. With biotin, vitamins, and rosemary oil, this shampoo and conditioner combo has been part of my daily routine for years now. I also use the charcoal mask every one to two weeks to help revitalize my hair. It helps to dry out toxins, heavy metals, and impurities, which we have plenty of since we have well water. This mask will leave your hair feeling incredibly soft and lightweight. You can use the code Lindsay, L-Y-N-Z-Y, for 30% off your order, and I will leave the links to the products I mentioned within the show notes. Today's show is also sponsored by Cerebelli. Cerebelli was founded by neurosurgeon Teresa Persner. You can hear all about the story that inspired the brand within the episode we recorded together about six months ago. After becoming a neurosurgeon, Teresa went back to school to earn her PhD in developmental neurobiology at Stanford. After having her three children, she was having a hard time finding baby food that focused on the proper nutrients needed for the developing brain. And thus, Cerebelli was born. Did you know that 80% of a baby's brain is fully developed by the age of three? Cerebelli is the only brand of organic purees that provide 16 key brain-supporting nutrients. Let your baby explore veggie-first, clean-label project certified flavors with no added sugar and spoonfuls of nutrients with Cerebelli. Parenting is an art. Cerebelli is science. And you know how much I love science. My kids also enjoy their smart bars, which are great for a quick, nutrient-packed snack for on-the-go. Today's listeners can get up to 35% off your first order of Cerebelli with code LINDSAY20 
that's L-Y-N-Z-Y 20, plus an additional 15% off when you subscribe and save. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode, this podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All right. Good morning. We have Dr. Agarwal here who is going to help us with a rapid fire Q&A with regards to the COVID vaccine for kids under five, which, you know, this month I feel like has been really tough because a lot of us were really excited. We thought that the FDA was going to push this through and that our kids under five would finally have some protection, but that wasn't the case. So I'm excited to hear your answers to the questions that we have today for you. And I think it would be great to just start on, you know, what is the latest on the COVID vaccine and why wasn't it approved? Right. So I know as pediatricians, we were also, you know, very excited waiting for the approval. So it has been, of course, a bit disappointing. But I think what we have to remember is that we want the best vaccine for these kids and of course the safest. So with the data showed and the reason for the delay was they are trying to determine a two-dose versus three-dose regimen for this age group. And the doses they're receiving are already much smaller than those of adults and the 12 and up. So it's probably for this reason that they're using a much smaller dose that they need a little more time to determine the correct regimen for use. So can you just explain a little bit about, you know, how do we go through this whole process? How is the vaccine tested? And then how does it get approved? Like what's the entire process that we have to go through here? Right. So vaccines in general, you know, they go through preclinical trials that is testing and development not in humans. And then the clinical trials are divided into phase one, two, and three. And phase one is the beginning of trial in humans. So This has already been done, of course, you know, in adults and teens, and then they started in the children under five. So in phase one, they're trying to identify what is the best dose for that age group that we're, you know, looking at. And then in phase two, they have now decided on the dose they want to use, and they are checking the efficacy of the vaccine and the immunogenicity. So how does your immune system respond to it? And then in phase three, that's the evaluation of the data from phase two. In a vaccine that's trying to be authorized for emergency use, phase two and three are kind of running together. They're evaluating data as it comes in, whereas traditionally phase three is done at the end of a given time period for phase two. So given what we know so far about the testing for kids under five Mm -hmm. and the lower dosage and the need for maybe two or three doses, When do you anticipate that this vaccine might be available for this age group? I I know it was like this disappointment when we found out that it wasn't going to be available. And when are they anticipating that it might be? Do we have any idea? I think they're aiming, Pfizer is aiming for re-evaluation with FDA in around April. So it's not too far out. It's a couple more months, which, you know, to families and of course, doctors as well, that feels, can feel like a lifetime. But they are anticipating, you know, spring of this year to reevaluate that. 
And are they just in the meantime, so from now until then, are they just looking more closely at the dose regimen, like what will be required? Exactly. Two versus three. That's what they're trying to determine um, because they don't want to bring it out too quickly because, you know, if it's not as efficacious, then people will not want to use it long term. So that's what this about two month delay is for to better evaluate that third dose. Because the regimen was the third dose was to be given two months after the second. So this will give them a little bit more time. Okay. So someone in my community had a a more specific question Mm -hmm. and it was, uh, if the issue is that the two doses of the vaccine won't be enough for the little ones, since the amount is lower, the dosage is lower, could they approve the two doses now to at least provide some protection while waiting for the results of the efficacy of the third dose? In theory, you know, yes, because two doses, they didn't find any, you know, significant adverse events, anything like that. But if you release it before the data for the third dose, and we find out that the third dose is so much better, two dose wasn't as effective, then it does also confuse people even more. And they may not be as willing to, you know, go ahead with the vaccine because, it can feel like, you know, it was released too early then, you know, before enough information was given. So I completely understand, you know, you want some protection for your baby, but if it's brought out too early, then it it just overall creates, you know, this kind of mistrust maybe that it was rushed out for our youngest patients. Yeah. From the public health perspective, I think it can be really tricky when you're, you know, I can't imagine being in that field and just trying to relay this medical information, you know, to the public as a whole. And it can be really confusing as it is. And then to just say, okay, well, we're going to release these two doses. At least you'll have some protection and then we'll wait on the third. It's just, I think that would be really hard to get across. I think that messaging, you know, could come off as more negative and that's why they would prefer to, you know, release the best regimen for these kids. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Yeah. Okay. If you want to wait a little while after the vaccine for five and under comes out, how long should I wait to see those rarer side effects? I think, I think some people are, you know, they want to see the shot get into more Mm -hmm. arms before they decide to choose to vaccinate their own children because they, they think that, you know, the, the more people that get it, the more we're able to see those rarer side effects, you know, those like 0.05% or, you know, of people will get X, Y, or Z. So, I guess her question here is, how long should I wait after they release the vaccine? How long should I wait to see those rare side effects? So, you know, for this age group now, five and under, once the vaccine, you know, let's say it's approved in April, by that time, you know, we we have seen the vaccine in, you know, ages five to 12 for, you know, over six months. And Mm -hmm. it's been going extremely well. Since they are getting a lower dose than the adults, and they are actually already showing less, you know, of the side effects you read about, whether it's arm pain, fever, myalgia. So when you're considering an even smaller dose then for six mm-hmm. to five year, then the side effects also will probably decrease already because it's such a small dose. So I would advise, you know, if a parent asked me that question directly, I would say there's really no need to wait the vaccine, we, you know, we would not be offering it or recommending it if we didn't feel like children should get it once it comes out. So I I don't think there's a reason to wait for the under five. Yeah. My 
as we had, I mentioned really briefly before we started recording, our two children, our older, our older children are eight and six, and they received it in November. Mm-hmm. And first of all, my eight-year-old was like, she's, you know, old enough to remember everything, you know, from two years ago now. And so it really affected her with her schooling and she was home for a while and all of that. So she was like, I am so excited. This is the best day. Like, when am I going to be able to go get it? And it's just really cool to like see like younger kids getting really excited for this and seeing the implications of it too, you know? And it's like, oh, you know, once I'm vaccinated, I can do X, Y, and Z or, you know, it's just, it's really awesome. But they had absolutely nothing, like no side effects whatsoever, which is like the total opposite of myself who has gotten (laughs) each dose and like I'm in bed for two days, like unable to get, you know, just feeling like I have like flu overall, but we also, you know, had COVID early on. So, you know, who knows if that has anything to do with it, but I do think it's very random how it does affect certain people. But I'm like, look at you. You're like bouncing off the walls the next day, like ready to go. Doesn't even have a sore arm, nothing. So yeah, it went really, it went over really well in our house. Well, that's great. That's what we've been seeing kind of in the community that that age group, they are showing less side effects overall. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Let's see here. What if my three-year-old daughter just had COVID? Should I wait to get the vaccine once it's approved? Yes, of course. You know, the three-year-old age group right now, we are waiting on the approval for them. But let's say your three-year-old got COVID and then two weeks later, the vaccine is approved. So the recommended wait time is about 10 to 14 days, you know, post-infection if it was a mild to asymptomatic infection. So just clarify with your pediatrician, but really two weeks after a mild infection, it's safe to get a vaccine. Yes. All right. Let's see here. I guess we should kind of pair that question with this other question here, which was, this age group, you know, the under five mm-hmm. is such low risk. It's at such low risk of getting any of these, you know, longer term complications, ending up hospitalized, et cetera. Why bother giving them the vaccine at all? So, you know, the risk compared to adults and adolescents in under five age group is less, but it's not a zero risk by any means. And especially for, you know, severe of side effects like the multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children, which is, you know, it can be quite severe. That can still occur in the under four age group. In February 19, 2020 to September 2021, there was over 5,000 cases of mm-hmm. multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children. And 25% of those cases were in the zero to four age group. So yes, that is a small number, but I think that number is still high enough where I wouldn't want to risk a child, you know, contracting that. And there's no way to predict if your child will get this multi-system inflammatory condition or not, but it is in, you know, previously healthy children. These aren't children who had underlying medical conditions. It can occur in healthy children as well. So it's just not, I think it's a risk not worth taking. The risk of the virus side effects are still far higher than risks of any type of vaccine side effect. Yeah. And I think it can be hard and confusing sometimes to weigh risk. And I think that's really important. You know, your your chance of getting COVID is so incredibly high right now, you know, within the community that you're really 
when you're weighing this risk, you're weighing, okay, you're comparing it to getting COVID and the possibility of something like MISC, and then you're weighing that against the risks of getting the vaccine. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, if you look at it that way, the risk of getting the vaccine is really, well, we're still waiting for the data, but, you know, as we've seen with other age groups, it's really, it's been really, really great and low side effects. I had actually done a, for those listening that want to learn more about MISC, I had done a recording with Dr. Anita Patel on MISC, I believe it was in the summer. And she saw a lot of these cases um, throughout the last year, year and a half. And it's a really interesting episode. So if you want to learn about the symptoms and when to seek help and all of that, you can listen to that. But I totally agree with you. So if you can give your kid that protection, like why not? Like what's the downside to it? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. My eight-month-old is undergoing chemo treatment. Is the vaccine recommended? So in general, absolutely for patients, you know, who are immune compromised for various reasons, whether it's medication or chemo in general, yes, I would always say, you know, just consult with your oncologist, but these are not live vaccines. These mRNA vaccines are not live. So in general, they are used in patients undergoing chemo. Yes. Let's see. Where should parents look for evidence to help guide their decision-making? My husband is nervous. No, this is very important nowadays, especially with you know the access to the internet. So I would always say start with your pediatrician because this is someone that you already have a relationship and trust with and help them, let them guide you in where to get your information. But in general, sources such as you know the CDC, the American Academy of Pediatrics, they have, you know, quite user-friendly websites um, with current data and recommendations Mm -hmm. um, for a more international kind of picture. The World Health Organization website also has a lot of information. And then our, you know, trusted academic centers like Johns Hopkins, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, these are big centers that, of course, see a lot of kids. So information that they post will also be user-friendly and up-to-date. Yes. All right. And most importantly, if you have a question, it's probably not best to head over to social media to find it. Yeah. It's scary to search online Mm -hmm. in those types of settings because the information is coming from, you actually may not know the underlying source nowadays, you know, where it's actually coming from. Yeah. I mean, in some cases, it's not even coming from a real person, (laughs) which is really kind of creepy. Which is sadly (laughs) true. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it could be, yeah, some some bot somewhere. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's see. Concerns over myocarditis and blood clots. There's no long-term data. How can we claim safety? So, you know, the myocarditis side effect, as of, you know, December of last year, there was less than 400 reported cases in more than 8 million kids who'd been vaccinated. So, yes, that's not a zero caseload, but there were also no cases identified in under 12. Um, so that's also important. They were seeing it in kind of the adolescent males if they saw it. And that myocarditis related to the vaccine was quite mild and reversible, whereas myocarditis from COVID, which actually does occur somewhat more commonly, that is much more severe. So if you're weighing the risk of myocarditis then the side effect related to the vaccine is much smaller than myocarditis related to COVID infection. Yeah. 
Which is exactly what I was saying before. Yeah, it's, you know, you're really, the chances of you getting COVID are highly likely. You're really weighing out myocarditis with an infection or Mm -hmm. myocarditis from the vaccine, which of course it's, it's more, you know, likely to happen if you, if you have COVID. So I think it's also important to note, you know, as of February of this year, the rate of COVID infection in children is increasing. And this Mm -hmm. could be, you know, for a number of reasons, whether it's return to school, but also that now this is our unvaccinated population in general. And so they are more likely to contract COVID because they're vulnerable. You know, then these numbers could, you know, start changing in the future since they're at this time not protected. So we just want to, you know, do our best to stay, you know, keep them safe. Mm -hmm. Yes. So three doses. What are your thoughts on that limitation? I feel like, you know, especially considering where you currently practice, you know, are you worried about families being able to follow up for all of these doses? I mean, it's even hard for me to like follow up to get my second dose. Do you know what I mean? You're just life and craziness. And absolutely. So what do you think about that? So I think, you know, unfortunately in the first year of life, it's, there's a lot of vaccines um, that kids are getting. And, but this is also that first year of life is when you want to see your doctor more because your child is, you know, changing and developing, developing every month. So there's so many well child visits that year that, you know, to try to piggyback the vaccine with that is probably the best way. But the COVID vaccine also is just, you know, it's available at least in New York quite readily. So hopefully it's a little bit easier to gain access than if you needed, you know, any of the other vaccines. And most of the childhood vaccines are, you know, two, three, four dose regimens. Yeah. So it is kind of along those same lines. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So this is a really important question. What do we do if this third dose doesn't work? Are we going to lose hope? What would be the next step? Sure. So I, I guess I do strongly believe that it will work because, you know, they are considering two versus three doses. So just the fact that they are putting that extra time to make sure that three doses is a better choice, I have hope. Now, let's just say worst case scenario, it is not effective. Then I think what would be the next step is to try slightly higher dose than they were using in that age group. But I think they're pretty confident that the dose is correct. It's just, do we need that third? And as I just mentioned, you know, so many of the childhood vaccines in this age group are three dose regimens. So it does make sense that these kids will need that third dose because that's what we do for polio, you know, tetanus diphtheria pertussis. We are giving them multiple doses. I didn't even think about that actually until you mentioned it, but yeah, you're, you're right. Everything in that age group is kind of like this three dose Mm -hmm. type of situation. And as every parent knows, their zero to one-year-old changes so much in that first year. And so their immune system as well is changing, just like they're walking, talking, eating. So they cannot be compared, you know, to us adults who are now, we're, we're kind of done with all of that. Yeah, yeah. Do you know at all, like how they determined what that dose was going to be for the under five? Did they just, I don't even know what it is, the dose in particular, but do you know how they came up with that number? So their dose for the under five is three micrograms. So it's about, I think it's about 
tenth of what the 12 plus is Mm. receiving and a third of what the 5 to 11 is receiving. So, you know, they would have done in those phase one trials in that age group, they would have split up various doses and checked them. Yeah. So, you know, the probably they checked those three different numbers on that age group to see what would work best for the phase two. Okay. Got it. All right. So is there anything that you think we might've missed that you want to add to the conversation? I think the most important takeaway, you know, for this time, you know, during the pandemic and related to vaccines is just, you know, talk to your pediatrician or someone in the medical field that you know and trust. You know, they're going to be your best resource just to get the correct information so that you're not afraid and so that your family is getting the most up-to-date safe information. You know, we understand what parents are going through and we empathize and we just want to be there to support them. So, you know, just come to us. We want to talk to you about this. Like, don't go down the black hole of the internet. The rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. And it's just a way quicker, more efficient way of getting your information. You know, right. if you heard that the vaccine causes you to like bark like a dog or something, <laughs> you could literally find that on the internet, right? You, I think you probably could. <laughs> you could. Because the internet's like this black hole that you can you can just basically whatever you want the claim to be, you'll be able yeah. to find it. So it's just really dangerous and and really just sucks up your time when you could just make a quick little phone call and speak with somebody that is trained you know a trained professional medical expert and and get all your information really quickly that way. So yeah, and I think I can speak for most pediatricians where we love talking about <laughs> vaccines. And, you know, we want what's best for children. That's the main goal. So please do come to us. All right. So we are going to end with the two random questions I ask all of my guests here. So the first one is, I know you don't have children, but you are a pediatrician. So you spend a lot of time with them and a lot of time with parents. What is something that you would, you know, say to a mom that you think is like a really great piece of advice? I think I would just tell every parent that every child is different. You know, don't compare your baby to other friends, children, or even your older children. Every child is unique and different and special. And just please don't compare them to one another. Yes. Yes. And then the last question of the day is if you could make one meal that is one of your favorites, that's quick and easy, what would it be? So it's actually just a simple stir fry. So I do actually love vegetables and so does my husband, luckily. So it's especially for working people, you just put vegetables into a pan and you know, some soy sauce mm-hmm. and it's a simple, quick meal over, you know, some brown rice. That's yeah. what we make a few times a week. Yeah. No, that's, do you put any, pro, like, what do you do for protein? So it depends on what's in the fridge. If we have leftovers, we'll use that. And then we're actually getting a lot of plant-based proteins that we put in our freezer. So they're really easy to make. So things like corn with a Q, it's not a plug or anything. But a lot of plant-based proteins, yeah. And they're really quick because you don't have to really thaw them like real meat. Oh, I'm, so I'm always I'm always looking for stuff like that just because, I mean, it can be really hard to try mm-hmm. to prep some of these things. Yes. 
and, and plant-based is really easily like, you know, chickpeas in a can, you just quickly can roast yes. those or whatever. But, you know, when you're trying to cook meat, it, it just takes a lot. You have to thaw it out. You have to, you know, so that's, sure that's really properly interesting. Cooked. Yeah, yeah. They're in the freezer section at most grocery stores. So you don't even have to go to Whole Foods anymore. Regular grocery stores now carry them too. Yeah, that's great. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to talk with us about the COVID vaccine for kids under five. I know that it will be helpful and I hope you have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.